the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's Thursday. You know that special. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. All you need to do is provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free. At 877-630-KSLR, that's 630-5757. If you uh, email questions, you can do that by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. I said this is a special day. Paula, I'm just going to have you take a deep breath because San Antonio hasn't heard from you now in three weeks. So just start talking. It's been three weeks? Yeah, since uh, you've been on the air. Thanksgiving and then that next The week time. before was the last Thursday. Yeah. So three weeks. You think I have a lot to say, huh? But in those three weeks, I think I've matured and there's a scripture that says, those who talk too much sin is just nearby. So I, I'm not going to talk today. Well, we're done. Okay, let's go. No. Bye. Well, seriously, Day Day Show, we'd love to have your calls and questions. Any comments or questions you have for Paula? Paula, what's on your heart today? Well, um, Christmas is coming. And yeah, for Calvary Chapel San Antonio, it's kind of feeling like it's coming quicker than normal because this Sunday, um, around four-ish, we will be having our annual Christmas dinner at um, at Church Civic Center. Yeah, four four-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was thinking everybody is invited, and you don't have to bring food to eat food. Um, we'll have plenty. And... Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to a lot of people being there. And I know, poor baby, you, you're like, right now, food is like the last thing you want to see or smell, huh? After you've been so sick. <laughs> you know, and, and it's, it's hard because, um, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, turkey, dinner, stuff you make mm-hmm. is my all-time favorite, favorite I, thing. I know. And uh, I don't want to be in the same neighborhood <laughs> as food right now. It's just not appealing to I me. I know. I know. So... Hopefully I'm getting better, but I don't think I'm going to be all fixed by Saturday or Sunday. Well, I'm fixing the same stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I put my name on the list yep. already, so I got to follow through. But yeah, so well. But we'd we'd like to invite anybody in the radio audience who wants to come the Shirt Civic Center. Um, you know, um, we have a big turnout every year. It's just wonderful. All three of our services can get together and people that have been coming to the same church for 20 years can, hey, I didn't know you came to this church kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it's just one of those neat things where we get together. And uh, it's just our way of celebrating the gift that God gave 
we all know he so loved the world that he gave. Yeah. It's Jesus' birthday, yet we get the gift. Yes. And uh, to celebrate it with church family and other Christians is a wonderful blessing. And we always tell people, Paula, bring family members and friends saved or unsaved. It doesn't matter because almost always somebody gets saved. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of uh, person-to-person evangelism going on. Mm -hmm. And people see a bunch of Christians outside the element of the church and they say, hey, these people actually love each other and they love hanging out. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's good for me because I get to teach in Acts chapter 2 beginning in verse 42 on Sunday and uh, when they meet together for food. So it's just sort of a a picture of what the first century church was like. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Me too. So before I get out of bed every day, you know, I have to do about a good 15 or 20 minutes of just stretching before my feet hit the floor, then I do some more stretching. <laughs> but um, so I read uh, Psalms and uh, Proverbs and then um, whatever other book I'm in, and it happens to be First John right now. You know, you do that. You read it while you're stretching. Uh, no, I do the stretching okay. first, and I know that's probably backwards because the word says, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of God. No, <laughs> but I do my stretching first. Well, the whole time I'm doing my stretching, though, I'm saying, Lord, thank you for waking me up again. You must get, have something for me, you know. And so I do the stretching. So whatever he has for me, I can kind of do it. <laughs> so anyway, so I, today I was reading. How long have I been trying to convince you to stretch? <laughs> you are <laughs> going to get struck by lightning right now. And I need, move over, Mr. Producer, and we're going to let you get struck on your own. Oh, my goodness. How many? Yeah, that's a good one. That's really funny, Ron. So, uh, you know, I read a proverb and a psalm, and today, of course, some, it's the eighth day. And um, in Proverbs 8, starting in verse 22, talking about Christmas, um, you know, we know that Jesus came to earth. That's what we're celebrating. He came to earth. And you think, so what was he doing before? And, of course, we do know he, you know, they did the earth in six days, and then they sat down and said, ooh, this is good. But anyway, in Proverbs 8, I'm going to read it, starting verse 22. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning, before the world began. So what was he doing before he came to earth? He's creating the earth he's coming to. Um, When there were no oceans, I was given birth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Um, Before he made the earth or its fields or any of the dust of the world, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was the craftsman at his side. That's the John 1, 1 in the beginning or before the beginning, you know. Um, I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. Now, I, I'm going to read the rest of it later, but um, I'm just thinking, you know, this is what he was doing before he came here, creating this beauty called our world that we live on. And he was filled with delight day after day. I mean, in the presence of the Lord, you know, like God the Father would say, well, do this. And, of course, Jesus would do that. And then, voila, you know, I love looking up. I, that's the one thing about moving to Texas. Um, I used to see pictures either on TV or um, postcards, the sky of Texas. And I say this all the time, right? Mm-hmm. I love the Texas sky. And I think... Jesus probably did that just for me because he knew I was going to live here one day, you know. Um, and then I, th- I think part of delighting in, in in what he created was was thinking about you eons ago. Yeah. And think about that. I mean, he was just thinking he's going to make precious. I'm kind of like understanding that. That's sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You too. You have a smitten look on your face, like yeah, yeah. I love him so much. Me too. I love him so much because I have that. You know, I have a clock and a couple things that say Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. And right now, what you were saying was confirming that. (laughs) Anyway, um, you're his favorite too. Anybody who's a believer. Um, 
but rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. You know, that's what he was he was doing before he even came to this earth. It was like, wow, look at this, look at this, look at that, look at look at that, you know. I'm sure he was in awe, delighting day after day, rejoicing. And then, you know, we went wrong right away. And, you know, we can blame Adam and Eve, but if it was Ron and Paula, we'd have been the ones. You know, it could the Bible could have easily said, and Ron was, you know, Paula was deceived, which would, and then Ron chose precious over Jesus. Can you believe it? So we would have messed it up if it was our name. So, you know, I, I try to make sure I don't get too mad at Adam and Eve because, yeah, we're all sinners. So, um, well, I think in heaven, Adam and Eve have a, a special little booth <laughs> so that everybody comes there and can just come by there and get it out of the way. What were you thinking? <laughs> you know, it's just okay. Yeah. We, haven't, we haven't heard that one before. Yeah. yeah. But just, just sort of to get it out of the way. But. Yeah. Yeah. Or. They could say, you know, we used to think, what were you thinking? But now we get it, because when we get to heaven, we'll be smarter than than we are here and now. We are instead of blaming other people, we'll we'll just like I did in this particular case, <laughs> admitted that I would have been the guilty one. So anyway, he, he that's what he was doing before he came here, but then because it was messed up. That's why we have Christmas. That's why we have Christmas. God the Father and Holy Spirit and Jesus, you know. We call it the holy huddle, you know. <laughs> had Somebody had to go, and, and Jesus was the one, you know. Yeah, I think sometimes we have a, uh, the impression in our frail human minds that, um, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit got together and drew straws. Well, somebody's going to become a man. Somebody's going to have to die for the sins of those people because yeah. we may we love them, and um, and and we we sort of treat Jesus sometimes like he got the short straw. But what what a what a mission of honor that was for him. What a, what a labor of love it was for him to be able to go and die for the very people that killed him, yeah. and he did it just because he loved us that much and. You know, there's no greater gift than God becoming a man. That's what happened at Bethlehem in his incarnation. And as you know, I like to think about, I'm going to try not to say it this year, I say it every year, but I like to think about uh, Jesus taking that very first breath of air and crying when he hits the air Mm -hmm. just outside of Mary's womb. And at that moment, knowing that he was beginning to die. That every step he took from that point forward would be one step closer to his death. That he had no plans, that he had no goals. Uh, He didn't pursue happiness. He wasn't looking for a wife. He wasn't looking to have children. He wasn't looking for success in business. Every single day of Jesus' life was another step of obedience toward uh, what Isaiah 50 categorizes as I set my face as flint to go to Jerusalem. Nothing could stop him. And the reason nothing could stop him is because he was delighting in us, thinking about us. Mm-hmm. And for some reason that is unexplainable. Um, God, Father, God, Son, God, and uh, the Holy Spirit believed that in so making that sacrifice, a sacrifice we can't begin to grasp the depth of, but in making that sacrifice, um, God got the best end of the deal. That's yeah. Wow. You know, I mean, yeah. And then we think, oh, how could he love me? Why would he love me? Because he knows from the beginning, you know, from beginning, before the beginning of time, what we were going to be like. You know, we sing a song. You know my, you know the depths of my heart, and you love me anyway. You know we sing, and it's like wow. You think about that, and yet he said, "Nope, I'm going. I've resolved to love precious Paula, no matter what she has done or will do." And he didn't change his mind, and he came as a baby 
He could have come as a conquering king. He could have come, you know, riding on a white horse and slashing. And But he came as a humble baby. Amazing, amazing. Just by way of information for the audience, um, we're going to go off of our regular schedule for Christmas. Uh, but we will be having Christmas Day services here on Sunday. This is one of those rare years. Mm-hmm. I think it's only happened two other times in our 27 years. Okay. But this is one of those rare years where Christmas actually falls on a Sunday. And it's it's just a wonderful opportunity. So we're going to be having services at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. Yep. Uh, they will be a little bit shorter than normal. Um, just because Christmas is a day for people to go home and celebrate and and be grateful to the Lord, be together with their families. Um, but somebody asked me, are you going to be having a, a service on, on Christmas Day since it's on a Sunday? And the answer is, I'll never not have a service on yeah. a Sunday no matter what. And then, of course, the following Sunday is New Year's Day. Yeah. And we'll be having... Um, two services. I don't know if we're going to go back to three or go back to our regular three format yet or not. We haven't made that choice. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, we we'll, we'll we're always going to be here if ten people show up or ten thousand people show up. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to be here in the house of the Lord on yeah. on that special day. It is a special day, and I don't think very many people here at Calvary Chapel San Antonio have ever missed. It's it's family time, just like the dinner. We can't wait. You know, we're here, we're here for three services, and then we can't wait to go have dinner with our family. But at family at large, I'm here all three services. You're here all three services. And so we get to see all the people. But to sit down and have dinner with them, and then you maybe this year in particular will be mingling a little bit more <laughs> <laughs> than eating. But, um, no, it's a, it's a great time to be at church. Just imagine Jesus says, they're making a sacrifice. It's no real sacrifice. You know, we think gathering around a Christmas tree and opening gifts and staying in our pajamas or something is what we're supposed to do on a, on a Sunday? No. No, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. No. And Mary sure didn't get a break on that first Christmas, did she? She didn't even want one. She said, <laughs> I can't wait to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, here we go. We're bringing the Son of God in. Son of God. Remember when she says... When the angel was talking to her, she pondered all these things up in her heart. Couldn't imagine. I'm going to have the Savior of the world. Amazing. Just simply amazing. Well, all we have to do is read her Magnificat, and we know exactly how she felt. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Amazing. I, you know, I, I didn't want to live in those days. Um, um, you know, the Lord has spoiled me. <laughs> he really has spoiled me because I just can't imagine, you know, no dishwasher, no no heat, air, conditioning. No butt warmers in my car, front and back seat. <laughs> yeah. So even if I'm not driving them in the back seat, I can still be too comfortable. But thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. And like we, like yesterday when we were walking and praying, I, my first thing is, we're going to heaven, and we know full well we do not deserve to go there. Thank you, Jesus, for your great sacrifice. You know, we, and it's right that we think this, but, but we, we sort of focus on the cross. That's the reason we're not going to heaven. You mean not going to hell? Or the reason we're not going to hell, yeah. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, but but the, the incarnation was an impossible step to understand. Um, the, the theological term is the kenosis of Jesus. Um, when he became a man, and, and for us to imagine... Uh, what a step, what a sacrifice that was. I mean, uh, in one instant, he's he's commanding the stars in the sky <laughs> where to go. He's keeping everything together. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's receiving the worship of angels. And in the next moment, he is an infant traveling through the birth canal of a 15-ish-year-old girl. And and we just think, well, well, you know, it's cute. We all like to think of baby Jesus. Baby Jesus is certainly not intimidating. Uh, everybody loves a baby, but but for him to to take on human flesh, and of course, knowing that he was going to be human forever, he's one hundred percent God, mm-hmm. of course, but he's also one hundred percent man forever. Mm-hmm. Um, to to understand that, I, I used to use the example that would be like God saying to me, um, you know, Ron, I've decided that I love cockroaches, and. Um, 
I'm going to have to offer you as a sacrifice for all the cockroaches. And I would say, well, Lord, I love you, and you know, you give the order, so if that's what you want, uh, I'm your servant. But then he would say, but, but I need to tell you all the details. Mm-hmm. You're always going to be a cockroach. You're never going to come back from being a cockroach. You're always going to be a cockroach. Mm-hmm. Now, I intentionally use cockroaches because they disgust everybody. Mm-hmm. But but the, the, the sacrifice Jesus made from being in heaven, ruling and reigning, to becoming a human, not not just a baby human, a human at all, was an infinitely greater sacrifice, an infinitely greater step down than than it would be to ask me to become a cockroach. And Jesus did it because for those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son mm. and his likeness. Mm. I love that, Romans 8, 29. Paula, we've got Greg on line one from Bulverde. Greg, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron, I'm glad you uh, recovered from your uh, your illness there. I think you had a couple of rough days there, huh? Ooh, Greg, I had a couple of rough weeks. So, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm recovering, still getting my strength back, but thank you very much. All right. Well, listen, I uh, just got kind of a couple of questions here. First of all, uh, start with, tell me the, the year version of the NIV that you use. 1984. 84, okay. Okay, also... Uh, Tell me if I got this right. It's the way I understand God and His Word is that He does. We do have free will, but I'm of the, um, I guess, thought that He, which, which is true, He gives us free will, but He knows what we're going to choose before we choose it. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And can you give me any scripture that kind of supports that? And then I got another question after that. Okay, Greg, two, two, two statements that are made in the New Testament. Uh, Romans 8.29, I just quoted part of it. Um, for those God foreknew, he predestined, and the idea is that, that, that we were predestined in his love and pre, predestined for his love because of his foreknowledge. Uh, I always like to make this so personal, uh, that, that verse for me. It means that God loves me so much because he knew I was going to be his, that no matter how hard I tried to change his mind about loving me with the terrible things I did and said and the choices I made, God set his love upon me uh, from before the foundations of the earth and refused to change his mind so that that day in February of 1991 when I became his, God could say, see, I knew it, and and all was going to be well. So uh, that's, that's Romans eight twenty nine, and then First Peter chapter one, the first two verses. Uh, Peter says the same thing: uh, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. So He knows the decisions we're going to make, uh, and even if the decisions that He knows we're going to make break His heart, He still is always reaching out to us, giving us opportunities to make another choice. He did that with Judas time and time again. And he's done that with you, Greg. He's done it with me. So we get to make the choice. So it's not that God causes us to make the choice we make. It's that he knows the choice we're going to make. And um, we're the ones that, that settle our destiny that way. What's the other question, Greg? Uh, is, uh, I heard you talking today about, um, uh, about uh, people that call themselves prophets, you know, nowadays, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's in Joel uh, where it talks about uh, it's referring to the end times, I believe, where it says that uh, you know the old men will uh, have dreams, and then mm-hmm. the young will will prophesy. Can you kind of give me a balance on that? Yeah, jo- the the prophecy of Joel deals with Israel. Uh, almost exclusively. Now, he deals with a natural phenomenon, the, the plague of locusts, and he likens that to um, the, the, what we call the Great Tribulation, Greg. So what Joel is saying in that prophecy is in those last days, and he's talking about, it's very Jewish, he's talking to Israel, remember the church is going to be gone. And as he's talking to Israel, he's saying, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all people, including women. And that's, of course, was partially fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. We know that Peter got up and explained it. He said, no, these men are not drunk, as you suppose. Um, um, but, But this is that which was written of by the prophet Joel. So Joel's prophecy 
begins with the day of Pentecost, but extends all the way down the corridor of time and space to the great tribulation where the judgments, the signs and the wonders in the sky above and in the the, the, the earth below, uh, when those things appear, that's localized to a time during the great tribulation, the last seven years of history. One other thing about prophesying, it doesn't make them prophets. The gift of prophecy actually occurs today, Greg. It's given to people in the church, but that doesn't make make us a prophet. In the last days, in the Great Tribulation, we know there will be 144,000 prophets. It'll be just like back in Israel. Uh, those are the 144,000 witnesses. But today, in the last days, before the Great Tribulation, while the church is here on earth, there are no prophets at all, though the gift of prophecy still exists. That does not make one a prophet. Greg, thank you very much. Any other follow-up? We got to, whoop, there's time for the end of the first half of the program. Well, Paula, we've got 30 minutes left in the program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. The Date Day Show will be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the final half hour of our day-day show, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Let's go to line one and talk with Robert from San Antonio. Robert, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor, I got two questions not related to each other. Okay. First one is just want to see what your take is on sending your uh, young adult kids to college in the secular in the secular world, even though it's actually a Baptist school. I've noticed like uh, the parties going on and all that kind of stuff, and you know them being so far away from home. Just trying to see what your take is on that. If you think it's a good idea, and if you see something that's not right, would you bring them back home? And second question, again, not related at all, is do you think that God actually speaks to people audibly at this day and age? Yeah. Let me deal with that one first, Robert, because it's easier. The answer to that question is no. God does not speak audibly. If we heard the voice of God, uh, we would be crispy critters. I mean, just the holiness of that moment. So... No, he doesn't. Um, you know, the precedence, you go back to the Apostle Paul's testimony, and he says um, e- even the people that were with him, they heard the voice, but they didn't understand the words. Uh, his voice is just too holy, and, and that was a very specific calling. And I know there are people now that say, God spoke to me and I had a conversation with God. But that's just stuff that they're absolutely making up. Now, having said that, um, I, I, I do want to say that there are times when the Lord has spoken to my heart so clearly that it is just as clear as if he had spoken to me audibly. And I think we've all had those experiences. God has no problem reaching our hearts and making sure that we know that he's speaking to us if, in fact, we're, we're diligently seeking the Lord. But no, God does not speak audibly. Now, one caveat from that as well. There are places on the earth where Jesus is appearing to people in dreams. Um, um, It it is, I would use the word common, but it's not common, but more frequently than we would think. Um, when, When God's knocking on the door of the heart of a Muslim who's going to risk his life or her life in order to come to faith in Jesus Christ, God appears to them in 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 such clear ways um, that that he will speak to them and, and but but again it's not really the audible voice of God it's God speaking to them in a vision or in a dream but other than that no God doesn't speak audibly and Robert we ought to be very skeptical not cynics but we need to be skeptical of people say oh no God speaks to me audibly all the time and of course we run into those people. A lot. I mean, it's just sort of the charismatic, crazy charismatic wing of the Church of Jesus Christ. And that just doesn't happen. The first question about college. 
you know, our whole system of of um, success in our country is built on higher education. I think we've been sold a bill of goods. Um, if you want to be successful, your kids have to go to college. And, and this started really with my generation. My, my dad did not go to college. He went into the Marines um, after he got out of high school. And, um, you know, he said, nope, my, my son's going to go to college. Uh, and it was a big deal. And it's even a bigger deal now. It's almost like, well, if you don't go to college, you have no chance at being successful. And uh, having an academy, this is something that we talk about a lot here. We have 100% college placement from our, our graduating seniors over our now 20-plus years of school. But but we don't encourage all of the kids to go to college. College isn't for everyone. And certainly in some cases, in some cases, um, 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 we know that that um, college is going to be detrimental to some Um the first thing they're going to try to do is steal their faith. Uh, they're going to introduce them to a, a world uh, that's hedonistic in view. Uh, whatever you want to do, you have the freedom to do. If it feels good, do it kind of thing. Um, and and they're, they're now openly hostile to Christians. And so many of our kids, not necessarily our kids at Calvary Chapel, but, but just the kids that we send to college, um, um, they come back disavowing Jesus Christ at all. Um, and um, I, I just, I don't know why we would pay money. I certainly don't know why we would take loans out uh, and, and let our kids start their lives in debt uh, in order to have somebody lie to them about the truth. So uh, I'm becoming less and less um, invested in getting kids to college and much, much more invested, and this is specifically toward our kids. What, what I, we tell them all the time is, look, we want you to do what God calls you to do. We want to teach you to read. We want you to write. We want you to be able to construct a sentence. We want you to be able to understand math and science and the things that we all need some knowledge in. But what we really want to teach you is that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And uh, we want our kids to be able to say, okay, Lord, what about me and what about now? And if if we are graduating kids who will do that, Robert, then we're 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 successful. But college in and of itself is no longer something that um, I can even recommend to our parents. And yet, it's not my decision; it's the parents and kids, Paul. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, even if it's a a Baptist college, um, a lot of you know a lot of the Christian bookstores. They're not even owned by Christians. It's just that we're gullible. And we, we know that's the kind of stuff we're supposed to go and buy. Um, and a lot of the so-called Christian colleges aren't, aren't even run anymore by Christians. Yeah. So it's it's different than it used to be. And um, yeah, I, You know, I, Harvard was a Christian school. Our Ivy League schools were started by men who were committed to raising up men to serve the Lord and uh, how far we've fallen. And uh, Robert, if if you send somebody to a Baptist college um, or I went to Calvary Chapel Bible college and, you know, if you weren't committed, there was all kinds of opportunities there to, um, to be shaken. So I I just think I, I would like moms and dads to sit down with their kids and really try to determine the will of God. God, you know my future. You know what I'm called. You know the gifts that I've been given. Um, and yet, to send our children to a school, whether it SMU, Southern Methodist University, um, um, Lutheran College, Texas Lutheran College, these are not Christian schools. Uh, they got Christian in the name, but they're not Christian schools, and that makes them like any other um, liberal arts college. So... Robert, I hope that makes sense to you. Thank you very much. It's good to hear from you again, my friend. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Paula, where do you want to go now? Okay, so the Lord was rejoicing and delighting in mankind, and so He goes on in chapter eight of Pro- I mean, in, yeah, chapter eight of Proverbs, verse thirty two. He says, "Now then, my sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways." And and last night's Bible study in Second Kings. You're talking about Amaziah, and 
you know, right here it says, blessed are those who keep my ways. Well, Amaziah kept the Lord's ways partially, but he didn't do it wholeheartedly. Man, I tell you what, I told you on the way home, ooh, I don't know if I was doing doing conviction or condemnation, you know, <laughs> because, um, you know, we I want to do the Lord's will, you know, and most Christians want to do the Lord's will, but man, the Lord knows motives of our hearts, and so these are good studies because it forces you to go before the Lord and say, ooh, is there any Amaziah in me? And of course there is, and probably most of us, um, but Lord, I, I, I don't want to... I want to finish better than I began. And, you know, I think I started pretty well. I just flat out trusted the Lord, and he would ask me to do anything. And, you know, I would just go. Not, But as time goes by, it's like, well, somebody else can do it. You know, I can delegate it or something, you know, or you're just like, ooh. When the Lord says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. You know, now, I mean, I've matured, but I don't want to mature so much that, you know, I can just sit back on my laurels kind of a thing and be lazy. And so it says, blessed is the man who listens to me watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. That's what I want to do every morning, get up and say, okay, you've, you've awakened me. And so what do you have on my plate? I want to be excited about what he has for me. Um watching and waiting for him because it goes on to say for whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. You know, I have life in Christ um, and he grants me favor, but I don't want to just be alive. I want to be alive and vital. And and so many, you, you mentioned Amaziah. We, uh, I said last night and, and uh, I'll say it again here. Uh, what I'm about to say is, is not going to make friends. Mm. But um, Amaziah is is so typical of our Christian culture here in the United States. You know, Jesus, uh, in speaking to the church at Laodicea, he said that, um, you know, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're just lukewarm, be one or the other. Mm -hmm. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Well, a lot of us are lukewarm Christians, and Amaziah is one of those guys that starts out that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So he did the right things. He was aware at the beginning of his reign as king that, that God was looking over his shoulder. And, and so he was trying to do the right things. But then it says, but he did not do those things wholeheartedly. And literally translated, it's he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord with half of his heart. And and a lot of us are sort of half-heartedly into our our relationship with Jesus Christ. And his particular failure, and, and not him alone, but lots of the, the kings, though he was a king of Judah and a good king, relatively speaking, says he didn't remove the high places. And the high places represent convenient religion. You know, the high places, God said there's only one place to worship. The Jewish men need to go to Jerusalem. Um, and yet the leaders allowed them to build convenient places, places closer to home, uh, places didn't require as much sacrifice, um, places it wouldn't cost as much to go, because if they had to go all the way to Jerusalem, they would be out of work uh, for, for days while they were there. But God was painting a picture there. You know, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. God was saying from the very beginning, there's only one way to worship me, and it's on my terms. Now, here's where I'm going to lose some friends. Our whole church culture, Paula, was changed during COVID. Uh, there are churches that have never recovered from COVID. Um, um, churches that were, were packed and thriving, um, people out for a year or two, and those people didn't come back. They still haven't come back. Now, praise God, that's not the case with Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. But so many of the people who got used to being at home, I call it, Let's go to church in our pajamas and, and, and watching online services. Now, I'm grateful that we have online services and those kind of capabilities because there are people that really need it. And during the pandemic, it was, it was important. But the moment, the very moment people could come back to church, they should have and they didn't. Because it only takes a couple of weeks for us to form new habit patterns and uh, they didn't come back, 
And in a lot of cases, churches have never recovered. There's a bunch of churches that have closed. Uh, there's a lot more churches that are just shadows of their former selves. And and we've decided that that's okay. It's convenient. I have people all the time that will say, Pastor Ron, I haven't been able to get to church, but I watch you online every Sunday. That's That doesn't do you any good. I mean, Bible teaching is a good thing. But being part of the body is the point Jesus is making. And we'd rather do that which is convenient. Well, after all, during the pandemic, you know, we got used to it and the family gets sits around together. And that's great. But And now gas is higher. Yeah, there's all just all kinds kind of, of things. Worship is <laughs> never supposed to be convenient. Yeah. It's supposed to cost something. David said, yeah. I will not give that to the Lord, which cost me nothing. Yeah. And there's a lot of Christians that we can call Amaziah. Mm. There's a lot of Christians who are trying to give to the Lord that which costs nothing. And pastors are prohibiting. I said last night that it is mortifying to me that every single pastor given the responsibility to protect his people, every single pastor ought to be saying in a scolding way, not in a mean way, or in a, but, but just, just shame on you. We need to be back in church. Those of you watching online, you need to get back in church. This is what the body of Christ is, and this is what the body of Christ does. And, uh, you know, it's just we've made it too acceptable to worship in the high places. And that's why the story last night with Amaziah in Second Kings chapter fourteen was so important. Yeah. Sorry for buttoning in on all your time. No, no, no. That's that's exactly why I set you up right there for that. Yes. Um, you know, I was thinking as as I'm reading this Proverbs eight today, um, thinking about Jesus praying for all believers. You know, and he gets to that my favorite verse where he says, "Father." May they know that you love them as you love me. Yeah. Pretty amazing, huh? Yeah. I just, I, it's, it's like, what did he just say? You know, Father. Boy, that's a great word for people in the audience, Paul. I'm glad you brought that up. We need to, we need to believe that. This is, this is where we need to, to make a withdrawal of faith and say, okay, Father loves me. In exactly the same measure he loved his son Jesus, who was perfect. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Yeah. And he loves you and he loves me exactly that same way. Yeah. And and as you are admonishing us all not to be Amaziahs and get ourselves back into church, <clears throat> um, stop serving ourselves and serve other people, um, make the sacrifice, trusting God that he's going to, you know, we can't outgive him and and he's going to take care of us um, because he's proven himself time and time again. But to think that he loves us every bit as much as he loves the Father. And Jesus served the people. You know, I'm thinking like in John 13, he's washing the people's feet. We are at home. We're washing our own feet. We don't even care about other people. It's just like, no, this is what I prefer doing. And I can be, like I said earlier, I love comfort. But I truly understand that my walk is not complete unless I'm serving other people. Yeah. And, and you know, Paula, if if we grasp onto that, he loves me the, uh, the, 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 with the same measure he loves Jesus. Mm-hmm. How dare we consider actually getting up, taking a bath, taking a shower, and, and, and actually getting up and bringing our family to church so that we can serve his body. What makes us think that's a sacrifice at all mm. in light of that love? Yeah. And yet we do it, and, and I guess pastors are are um, just sort of unwilling to rock the boat. Um, oh, well, I'm glad you're watching online. That's good. That's why we provide the services. Um, and what we ought to be telling people is, no, 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 that's, that's not enough. Mm-hmm. This isn't workspace. This isn't legalism. This is you need to get your rear end in church yeah. and serve other people yeah. because that's the only way the gifts of the Spirit can flow. Yeah. And, and that's why he gives us those gifts. And we're quenching the Spirit mm-hmm. and the work the Spirit of God wants to do in us if, in fact, we're trying to find a convenient way to worship the Lord. Yeah, It's just that simple. Yeah. You know, I was thinking, too, um, in, you know, it's, we're a poor church, and so we need people to give. 
you know, and I've been trying to get you to give, let me do the giving statement. <laughs> but um, even that, you know, some people, well, I'm still giving. Well, you're just giving money. The Lord wants your heart. And so that's not. That's half-hearted service. There isn't you it? go. That's really half-hearted service. It's more of a guilt offering than it is a, yeah. a love offering. Yeah, it really is. We are to, we are to serve other people, not just ourselves. And so as a poor church, you know, I didn't ask Pastor Ron if I could say this, but, yeah, if you're just sending money in, um, I don't think you're going to get much of a reward. Now, if you're you're the sick person and you can't get here, that's a completely different thing. But if you're just being lazy and don't care about people, maybe don't even want to be under um, any submitting to any kind of authority, um, and you're still calling Pastor Ron your pastor, um, you might want to check yourself. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. Yeah, there's no reward for that kind of giving. Now, let me make it clear. Paul said we're a poor church. We'll take your money. Oh, yeah, we'll take but, it. We'll but, use it. But, and but, use it for God's glory. But. You're not getting a reward. Yeah. That, and that's the thing. You're the one who's missing out. Yeah. And that leads to all kinds of compromise it did with Amaziah. Uh, and his end was pretty tragic. Um, God wants us to protect ourselves. And we're not protecting ourselves if we're insulated from the others in the body of Christ. This is the way God has chosen to work. Yep. Iron sharpens iron. He never asked me for my opinion. (laughs) Yeah, he sure didn't. But anyway. Yeah. So I have one more thing. You know, we listened to Charles Stanley. And so he was asking this question, and he says, okay, get a pencil and paper, and if you don't, you'll regret it. And, you know, I love Charles Stanley, and I like lists. So I ran and got me a pencil, actually a pen and some paper. And he says, he asked, does this describe you? And he was talking about gratitude. Are you truly grateful? If you are truly grateful, this will describe you. I just ask, do you have a positive attitude? Are you aware of God's presence? Do you have a humble spirit? Are you peaceful? Are you thoughtful of others? Are you generous, unselfish? Expressive. I mean, when we're out, it's like, do you know Jesus? You know, are you friendly? Are you contagious with your expression and friendliness talking about Jesus? Are you motivated? Do you have a servant's spirit? Do you have a high level of faith? That would represent you. You have a high level of faith. Are you fruitful and are you joyful? Because if you are truly grateful, that would describe you. Now, in some areas, and he was saying this, you may, I may need some work. Ask the Lord to help you in those, in those areas that maybe you're lacking a positive attitude. Are you aware of God's presence? Do you have a humble spirit? Are you peaceful, thoughtful of others, generous, unselfish, expressive, friendly, contagious, motivated? Have a servant spirit? High level of faith, fruitful, and joyful. That shows gratitude. Somebody asked me today, because, you know, we've been in our our home for a couple of years, almost a couple of years now. Are you still glad that you um, live in this house? I said, every morning since I've lived here, I wake up and I say, wow, Jesus, you let me live here. Wow, yeah, I'm very grateful. And I want to remain grateful, not just because I live in that house, but I want to remain grateful that I'm precious to him, that he, the Father, loves me the same as he loves Jesus. Can you imagine that? Imagine that. Yeah, so I'm very grateful. Yeah. See, Paul, we, we, our human nature instinctively grows accustomed to things. Yeah. And as we as things become... Um, an everyday thing of our lives, then we're, we're we're no longer focused on how good God was to provide those things. Whether it's a spouse, our children, our jobs. Yeah. You know, when I was before I was saved and hired people, they all came in for interviews and they wanted that job. I'll do anything for it. I'll be the best employee ever, and I'll be so grateful. And for a couple of months, man, they were just killers, you know, just, oh, boy, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But then it becomes routine. And that monotony, you've heard me say 
uh, is the biggest enemy of our of our fruitful Christian walk. And we have a tendency just to take those things for granted because we become accustomed to them. Yeah. And um, I can I can vouch for Paula. She she's fooling around in the house doing little things, and she's just so happy for it. Um, and and it it will ever be for her a sign of God's generosity to us. And um, I think maybe that's the secret of being content in all circumstances. It's to remain grateful, no matter what you've got, no matter how much or how little you've got, mm-hmm. but to remain grateful. And if you have just a little bit, and you're really grateful to God, and His presence is there, um, then you're you're going to be overrun with gratitude. Yeah. But no matter how much you have, when you begin to take it for granted, then it loses the specialness yeah. and, the, and the idea of the gift. And I think we've done that with Jesus, with Christmas for sure. Um, very little talk about God becoming a baby and a whole bunch of talk about sales and online shopping. Mm-hmm. And, and do we have to come to church on Christmas Day? Yeah, and, and we've been asked, do we have to come on Christmas Day? <laughs> Why in the world wouldn't we want to come? Yeah. Well, Paula, we are now inside a minute. you have anything you want to close with? Um, that baby Jesus grew up and he looked us in the eye and said, you are worth it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good thought. Hey, thank you for tuning in today. You've been listening to the date day edition of The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I will be back here tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.